presented in a Greek mindset. And therefore, we as Americans, when we read this passage, we may miss some of these things, but the Hebrew is... Uh, the Hebrew thought comes out as the church moves into a Gentile world. And let me just say last week we talked about there's these two groups that came into uh, the church. There were the group of the Jewish believers uh, who grew up in Israel and there were the, Jew the Jewish believers who lived outside of Jerusalem and who were influenced by the international cultures they were in. Hellenistic Jews, they were called. More influenced by that culture than by the Israeli, uh, the home uh, team. And therefore, the Hebrews would speak in Aramaic, and when they would go to worship, they would go to an Aramaic-speaking worship service. But then there, there were the Hellenists who would go to the Hellenistic synagogue, a Hellenist synagogue, and they would speak in Greek. And both of these, uh, both of these synagogues were filled by the same spirit, but God was at work, and he's helping them understand, one, the Hebrew background, the Jewish background, but to do it in their context that was kind of now mixed. And it wasn't, if you were in Israel, it was a monoculture. But if you were outside of Israel, it was a multicultural. And so the Jews, the Jewish people would want to preserve their tradition, of course, as we all would understand. But then if you lived outside of Israel, there was a fusion of cultures, and that led those believers who were Hellenists to be more open to and think in different ways than people who were in Israel. And therefore, the Israel was committed to the tradition, committed to the Torah, committed to their culture. And yet, that Old Testament message, uh, the Old Testament message was going to move through the Hebrew culture through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And that's where Jesus, after the resurrection, met those guys on the way to Emmaus. And he affirms, he affirms the Old Testament. Notice, uh, they're not coming in, are they? Missed all those things? There he is. Uh, and so on the way, uh, they met the Messiah. And Jesus said to these men, there is a suffering role that the Messiah is going to have to play. There is a salvation where he is going to a cross and that cross has meaning. And you need to understand, disciples, what that, that plan was all about because it was a redemptive plan beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained. And therefore, he said to uh, these disciples all that was in the scriptures concerning himself. This is the passage I go to and somebody says, well, I don't believe the Bible. Uh, how can you believe the Bible was written because it's written by man? It's not trustworthy. My simple answer is, yeah, I hear your point, but Jesus endorsed, Jesus endorsed the Old Testament and he fulfilled the New Testament. I follow it because Jesus said it was authoritative. And that answer for me is enough but when Jesus was telling these disciples, he was teaching them something. And he was talking about the work that he was doing in the earth. And, and that work was going to create a whole new community of faith, a kingdom community. And so he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They understood, the, the, the Jewish folks understood He's talking about the building. He's not talking about the building. Christ is talking about the kingdom of God that's going to come. 
But Jesus would go on to explain that if you see these, if you see these stones, tear them down, and I'm going to raise it up in three days. But this idea that God starts in Jerusalem and he's moving out to the world comes when the Jewish leaders did not believe that he was the Messiah. They did not believe that Christ would be the one who would, who would fulfill Isaiah's promise and then move on out. And therefore, they rejected Christ. And when they rejected Christ, I want you to get this passage in Matthew, Matthew 21, 43. They turn away from Christ. And when they turn away from Christ, Jesus said, Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken taken away and given to a people who will produce its fruit. It means that the fulfillment of the Old Testament was going to now move and to fulfill it in a new way beyond Israel. And therefore you have a movement out of Israel and it would go into all the nations, all the ethnos, all the people groups. And therefore go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them, notice he says, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, which wasn't very well understood by the disciples at that point because the Messiah was with them. And yet, Jesus was very clear before he left, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, included in Jerusalem, and in Judea and Samaria, and to Chesterland, Ohio. Wait a minute. So it's a, yeah, to the ends of the earth. We're included. And so beginning, beginning this work in the book of Acts, we are in Jerusalem. And I, I want to embed us in this context because I want you to see something today. That these disciples who lived in this city, who were of the Hebrew and Hellenistic, uh, were both recipients of what God's doing on earth. And I said two weeks before that God is the one who reveals himself. Christ is the one who redeems. And the Holy Spirit, again, mark these words, restores. That the work of the Holy Spirit that took place in the book of Acts and is still taking place to this day is, is a work that you should be able to see and experience and know and understand and explain and enjoy. All these things are yours, Christian. And therefore, when our good Lord comes and he blesses us and people learn how to depend upon Christ, you see happening in the, in the book of Acts that people can manage their conflict. They can manage the evil. They can manage the, con the, the, the war, the persecution that they're going to get because it's not, a, it's not about fixing the world any longer. It's about something that's happened in my soul, in our souls, that make us strong people. We are people of faith. We are people of hope. We are people of love. Because, not we're good people alone, it's the fact that we have been incarnated, as it were, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that you will see, it's not about if you're Hebrew. It's not about if you're Hellenist. It's about do you have the Holy Spirit and if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you can't be a witness to these things. And that's what the book of Acts is talking about. So only the Holy Spirit who will open the heart of one who doesn't believe to give them eyesight to see him who's looking at him. 
who died for Christ, who died for their sins. And so, go back with me and answer this question. We're in Acts 6. And when you read the book of Acts, this is not a historical, uh, this is not a, uh, a chronological news report. And you've got to keep this in mind as you read the book of Acts. This is not going to give you all the details because it's a narrative that talks about God's movement out of Jerusalem. So you're going to miss a lot of the details. And in Acts 6, indeed, we come to one of these things. Here's the question. What year is it? You were in Acts 6. Now that may not make much difference to you, but you never think about that, but I do. Because <clears throat> it makes a difference. And what year it is in Acts 6, you'll see there's a timeline that's taking place. And the timeline goes back to Christ. So let me ask you this question. When was Jesus born? What year was Jesus born? 30? 30 B.C.? 33, 27, 27, 27, 30, 30. When was he born? What year did Jesus die? He died at 33? See, I get this look on your face like, and this is all about timing, and therefore the problem with timing, and there's a point, the reason why you get to, I'll get to it in a minute, but you understand that the notation of timing, B.C., and A.D. before Christ, and A.D. does not mean after death. But some people think it's A.D. It means the Anno Dominio, the year of our Lord. But you have to look at that chart. When you get back to A.D. 1, uh, when Christ was born, before Christ was born, it was negative 1. But there's no magic time when negative 1 becomes 0, and 0 becomes positive 1. It's it's a crazy time because no one exactly knows the actual time and date uh, where Christ was born. So if you, depending on what you read, you're going to get different, different uh, understanding. And so if you're going to be offended by having a Christ-centered timeline, well, let's change it. So let's change it to the BCE, which does not mean before Christ. It means before the common era. And so now people who are non-believers don't want to be offended. Uh, they, they've changed it to say our time is before the common era, and you'll see that. Or the common era, you'll see that. And you will also see BP. That's not the gas station. It means before the present time. It's crazy. But the whole point I want you to see is this. It's all about the birth of Christ. The numbers... The numbers, uh, they may change the letters, but the numbers still remain the same. It's all focused on when Christ was born. And so they left out that, they left the, Julie, uh, the Roman calendar. And then in 544, uh, 525, this guy, Dionysian, he says, well, let's change it to the B.C. and the A.D. model. And therefore, as he did they changed it somehow, somewhere along the line. They, they figured out these dates. And when they do that, they put Christ being born three or four years B.C. before Christ. It puts them in the negative comment. And so 
the dates when he was died at 33, you, you will see dates he was 30 years old or he's 33 years old, depending on who you read. Well, the point is this, and here's the point. When Jesus died, let's say 30, 30 A.D. or 33 A.D., but to, now you're in the death, the resurrection, ascension, Pentecost. It's still the same year, 50 days, two months out. But now you've got Acts 6. How far out is Acts 6? And that's what I want you to hear. Some people think that this is two years later. Two years later. Now that's important for a reason. That the people that going on in Acts 6, you'll see that there's, there's a change that has taken place and Luke doesn't give us all the details. Actually, there's this one man who when he writes the narrative of Luke, he says if you take the book of Luke, you'll see the book of Luke has been divided in six parts, and each of the six parts have five-year increments. And I thought that was interesting. So when you read this book, don't read it for the particular technical, uh, chronological. It's a narrative. It's a story that God's trying to say to the church at large. And when when the book of Acts is written, you'll see uh, what year it is. Then you get into the second five, the first five years. But now you're two years out. You're two years out beyond Christ. Now, the reason why that's important is because we're still in Jerusalem. Five years out, two years out, we're still in Jerusalem. And if God's moving the church to take it away from this, the kingdom of God out from the Jews to take it to the nations, he's going to bring about a change. And he does it with these seven men. These seven men, you know, are Hellenistic Jews. They are, they are people who believe, but who are internationals. They've lived in different places. And so I want to introduce them again. But notice what they did. They chose Greek-speaking international people to minister to the widows, one. But they went on. They weren't just deacons who were doing food distribution. And so what you find is Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Stephen in Greek is Stephanus. Philip is uh, a different name. Philip, Nicholas. Uh, you'll see Nicanor, Timon, Parmenes, and uh, let's skip one, Pro Prochorus. Notice where these guys went. They were in Jerusalem before at the beginning, but Prochorus, he was, uh, he was the uh, nephew of Stephen. And Stephen, as uncle, influenced his nephew. This is family relationships. You have, you have Philip, who also was a man you'll see uh, coming up in uh, 7 and 8. You'll see these two come up. Prochorus, uh, one of the seven disciples. And so these men probably were exposed to Jesus Christ before Acts 6. These were part of the 70. They were probably there at the Pentecost. They have had a long time to see Christ, to know Christ, and they understood that he was the Messiah, as the Old Testament talked about. But you also have these other men, Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas. You know, you don't hear the names of the other apostles. You don't hear Bartholomew. You don't hear uh, James the Less. You don't hear the names. Of, but, and here you've got these names 
that you'll hear this time and you'll never hear them again. Because it's not the names that make the difference, it's the Holy Spirit in these names that makes the difference. But here's Stephen. And the question I have for you is this. How does a man like Stephen or Philip or Nicholas or any of those guys, how do they get strong in Christ to be recognized by the congregation as these men are full of the Spirit, full of faith, full of wisdom? How does that happen? Remember, you're two years out. You're two years out beyond the cross. How does that happen that a man who's a fool becomes a man who's wise? How is it that a man who's caught up in a tradition changed to say, I don't want to be caught up in a tradition of, a, of our culture, but I want to be caught up in the kingdom of God? How does that happen? Well, you'll see that these men, all of them, uh, whether it's Nicanor, Nicanor went on to be uh, a, a bishop in the city of Basra, Arabia. And there he was uh, persecuted by both the Jewish people and the pagans. And they ended up crucifying him. What gave him the faith to endure that, to keep on? Timon, we don't know much about Timon except he was one of the 70. Uh, again, Nicanor, uh, he was uh, also probably with... Uh, uh, Timon, or up, up, who was the other guy? He was, yeah, with the, in, uh, in, in uh, this is the wrong slide. He was with the, uh, in Arabia, with Nicanor. And so they may have been a team, but here's Parmenas. He preached the gospel in Asia Minor. He was a bishop later on in the end of his life. In Cilicia, which was one of those synagogues, the, the, the Greek synagogues. And then there's Nicholas. They were, these men all knew Christ. But the question is, how do, how do these men grow? Well, how do, they men, how do they grow? They grew because the Holy Spirit gave them wisdom. Just like Jesus Christ grew in stature and favor with God and man. The Spirit gave Jesus wisdom. The Spirit gives them wisdom. The Spirit will give you wisdom. And that's what I want you to hear, that these men were not leaders. They weren't chosen because of their leadership. They were servants. And they saw themselves as devoted to Christ. They wanted to be with Christ. They wanted to, to be on his team. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to follow him and, and pursue his cause. They were being led by the Spirit. And these men were followers, not leaders. They kept their ear towards the footsteps of the Spirit. And therefore, it's important that you understand that they understood the Holy Spirit as being part of the Trinity, part of the manifestation that Christ had promised, that I will be with you. And as the Spirit, we know that he is the one that's going to be the one that never is going to let us down, but he's the one that's going to tie his cord around us, and two are better than one, for they have a good return. That's the Spirit of God coming along as your partner. It's the Spirit of one who comes along as your helper. It's the one who comes along. It's the one who builds you up. The Spirit's going to be the one that's going to give you the power to not have fear. This is what the Spirit of God does for His people.
And therefore, in Acts 6, now you're ready to jump into this passage. Acts 6, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase. Why? Because these men were filled with the Spirit, and they were filled with the Spirit because they were discipled by men who were filled with the Spirit. When the disciples went to make disciples of all nations, these were some of the seven men who were discipled. They were part of the congregation who said, we're going to give ourselves to prayer and to the word. These men grew up with godly men, spirit-led men, and therefore they were transformed, and they had this one thing in their mind. They wanted to know his goodness, know his glory, know his grace, know that transformation, and know the presence of the Spirit was actively involved in their life to help them move out in confidence and faith. And they did. And therefore, many, even, even the priests, many of the priests who thought it's not about this religious rule-keeping, it's about this relationship. I don't have that. And if you're in church, some people in church don't have a relationship with Christ. And they think by going to church, I'll get into heaven. By church, I'll be a good person. It's not about you. It's about him. If you don't have that relationship with Christ and you don't know the Spirit of God, then you are doing some religious stuff that's not going to help you get through stuff. But if you understand that the Spirit of God is going to give you wisdom, you have an entirely different attitude in your relationship with Christ. And therefore, Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power. He performed great wonders and signs among the peoples. And there was opposition. Notice where the opposition comes from. This is, not the, this is the synagogues outside of Israel. Those who are in a different city in the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These were not uh, Hebrew people. They were Hellenistic and they were going after, they were going after Stephen. But, I love this, they could not stand up they could not cope. They could not move against the wisdom of the Spirit as he gave them to speak. And that's why we don't fear when people we meet people we don't know what to do. They may be attacking us, but don't worry, Jesus said. It will be given to you what to speak. And therefore, they seized, they seized Stephen and they stirred up the people and they're going to create a tension And here's what you need to understand. What's going on in the book of Acts 6 right now is God is using the non-Christians to move the church out. This is the first time where the advance of the church is moving out into the Gentile world, out into the nations, and the movement of the Spirit is using the unbeliever to put pressure, the test, give that opportunity to confront the, the uh, persecutors. And therefore, what you have is men who are following the Holy Spirit, and these men were understanding that what Christ did was to restore, was to redeem, and the Spirit's going to restore. And the wisdom that they understood, Stephen understood that. So when you read that book, you're going to see, oh, they really weren't just going along with the program. They were following something that was much bigger than they were. How do you keep in step with the Spirit? How is that wisdom manifested in your relationship? Let me give you eight points 
and I hope you understand, and I want you to meditate on this because this is something that you can pray about and think about, how the Holy Spirit works in your life. And therefore, let me give you an acronym, an acronym so that you can remember this, that these are the eight major ministries of the Holy Spirit. And the eight major ministries, there could be ten, there could be others, but these ten are under the acronym of being refreshed. And there's a P on it, just make it a refresh, but refresh doesn't work. The first one is this, that the Spirit of God reveals Jesus Christ and gives you the mind of Christ. He reveals Jesus Christ and He gives you the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.10 Now again, remember, as a believer, the Spirit of God will use the Word of God in the church of God to make you a man or woman of God if you are listening to the mind of Christ in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.10, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. And the wisdom that God has set up is he's going to give you his spirit and the spirit's going to give you his wisdom of the thoughts of God. So he's going to reveal the Lord to you. And therefore, that's what Jesus said, John 16, 15. All things that the Father has are mine. You can say the same thing, believer, that that which belongs to the Father, that which belongs to the kingdom, belongs to you. Because Jesus said, I'm in the Father and The Father's in me, and we're going to come to you, and all that he is is all that you have. And therefore, understand that he takes of mine and will disclose it, reveal, show you. That's what the Spirit does. He reveals. Two, he empowers. The Spirit of God gives the wisdom to handle evil. He gives the wisdom to handle temptation. Remember Matthew 4.1? After Jesus was baptized, the Spirit came upon Jesus, and the first thing that Jesus did was to go out into the wilderness because the Spirit of God had a battle to deal with. And he led Jesus into the Spirit with the devil. And what did the devil say? If you are the Son of God. And Jesus would answer by the same Spirit that led him out, it is written. It is is written man shall not live by bread and jesus answered satan with the word of god because the spirit gave him wisdom to use the bible to answer the spirit of satan he empowers and therefore john 16 13 when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth he will empower you with that truth not just educate you he will empower you To do the truth, that's what wisdom is. Therefore, let's move on. He fills us. As Jesus would say from within, uh, when you receive the Spirit of God, from within shall flow rivers of living water. It means there's movement. It means there's refreshment. It means that there's something happening where you don't just stagnate and sit on a lazy boy and watch television. 
You don't become passive because you know all the answers. You move. And Ephesians 5.18 says, When the Spirit of God comes upon you, you will be under the influence as if you were drunk with alcohol. As as you consume alcohol and it permeates your blood system, then things are affected. Likewise, when the Spirit of God comes in, you have an effect that the Spirit of God is changing your mind, changing your heart, changing your vision, changing your values, changing everything because you are now transformed under His influence. If you don't have those fruits of the Spirit, you're substituting something else And you will miss the fact that the Spirit of God is going to restore you. That's the Psalm 23, shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He lets me out by the the waters to restore my soul. That's what the Spirit of God does. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, the beauty of the Lord, the wonder, the wisdom, all that He is, We are transformed from one level of glory, one stage of glory, to another stage. And therefore, the Spirit of God doesn't want you to be where you are or where you have been last year. You should see movement in the Christian life as you fall more deeply in love with Christ. That's what the Spirit of God does. He will give you a heart, an intimacy, a desire that you don't have without Him because He gives you that gift. And therefore, Ezekiel, the Old Testament promise, says, I will pour out my spirit. I will write, I will give you uh, the law of the spirit written on your heart and not on a heart of stone. It will be a heart of flesh, a, a malleable heart, a soft heart. You will discern him. He will discern. Uh, he knows how to give you discernment. And that discernment will encourage you as you move into the issues of life. Acts 9.31. Acts 9.31. You have have the church filled with joy. And as you see see the church moving, uh, there's something different about a church that's filled with the Spirit, that's maturing and being obedient and being sensitive. Because there's courage. There's real courage because when you get together, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. That's what Paul said in Romans. The the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and real joy. And therefore, as you see the church growing in joy, uh, throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, they enjoyed a time of peace, and the church was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord, and they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and that church increased in numbers. Therefore, you go on to the, he strengthens us on the inner man where Christ dwells, and Paul prays for that. That's for you. You should become stronger, not weaker in the Christian life as you grow, as you walk, and as you obey. But the Spirit of God, then he supports us. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper paraclete, one who's called alongside. You no longer have to walk alone because the Spirit of God will help you. Oh, understand that, believer, because it's the Spirit of God who's going to strengthen us to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
that's a reality for you to experience that not just that you have a head knowledge of Christ, but you have a heart knowledge of how the Spirit of God strengthens your heart. And last, he pours out the love of God. There is no one more committed to you uh, to help you grow in loving Jesus than the Holy Spirit. And therefore, I want you to know this. He has yielded himself he has yielded himself and all the resources of heaven are at your disposal if you simply hold on to his hand and he guides you, he refreshes you, and he pours out that love of God for you. And then you get so filled that you're like these seven men, full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the Spirit, and full of grace. This is the kingdom of God that Hellenistic, Hebrew, pagans are going to get into and therefore when you see a man like that you see a solid man you can't move this man you can't move this woman and they are fearful and dangerous because they know the lord just like they attacked jesus so stephen they laid hands on stephen and they started the persecution this is the advancing of the church Filled with the Spirit, moving out, and the world can't take it. They have to attack because they don't know how to handle it. And therefore, when you get into next week, you're going to see this man, Stephen, stand up, being a man testifying, witnessing, not afraid, boldly, moving out. And they have to kill him. It's an amazing passage. So, Read Acts 7 with that as your background. But, oh, I pray that if you have questions, ask the elders, ask the deaconess, uh, ask the deaconess and deaconess, deacons and deaconesses, and ask the people next to you. I don't know much about that. How does that work? Because we are here to help you grow up. It took two years after the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, and now you're in Acts 6. They grew in that time, and here are seven strong men. Filled with the Spirit. This is also true for you. Let's pray. Father, take these words. Make them real. And make these words, Father, go deep in our hearts. That we too would be like these men. That we would be filled with the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.